Matthew chapter 28, and then uh, we'll read a familiar passage here, but then I want you to be ready. We're going to be going over to the book of Acts, and that's where, where the main bulk of this evening's message is going to be. I want to speak to you this evening on the, sub, the subject of Bible teaching. Knowing where to begin. You say, well, preacher, I don't teach a Sunday school class or anything like that. No, that's not what this is about. I mean, it'll touch on the fact of teaching, but it isn't, uh, it isn't for somebody who formally teaches a class or informally teaches a class for that matter, or however they do. Um, but you'll see, you'll see why I chose that phrasing here in just a moment. So if you found your place there in, in Matthew chapter 28, let's look in verse 18 and see uh, what, what is said here. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, now let's think about those two words for a minute, all power, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, because all power is given to Christ. Go ye therefore, and do what, church? Teach. All nations. That's not just geographical boundaries. In fact, the word ethnos is the word there and it deals with people who come from certain uh, languages, certain cultures, certain uh, backgrounds together. For instance, in any major city, uh, and it used to be even more pronounced than it is now, you'll have groupings together of people of like ethnic origin used to be very distinct. You'd have the Irish area. You would have the Chinese area. You would have, you know, different sections like that. And people had a common language, common history. Their food stuffs were similar. Now, we, you know, wide variety. I mean, you can go down to Kroger, you can get everything from Australia to, you know, Iceland. You can get something. Who knows? But um, he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. By the way, when they have displayed a willingness to obey God in that basic command, then you're going to be able to accomplish this next part. Teaching them. So you see you have the word teaching here twice. This is what we call the Great Commission. A commission being something given by a king for his servants to fulfill. It's a good name. It's not a Bible title, but it's a good name for this. And he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, all nations, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them, those that you've already taught and you've already baptized. Well, doesn't it lead to a logical conclusion that that first teaching would have centered on the Gospel? Because you do not scripturally baptize someone who has not been saved. Why an infant cannot be baptized biblically. They, because there's always someone who knows that they're saved and they are doing this as a statement of the profession of faith. And so what happens is, he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe how many things? All things. That's the complete Christian life. That's every aspect of our living. Jesus is supposed to be Lord in every area of our life. From fashion to finances. From attitude 
to uh, to our acquisitions, what we what we go and get. And so it says there that teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I, Jesus, am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And there's a good Bible word at the end of that. Amen. And that's a good word to get in the habit of using. It happens so frequently in the Bible. It's applied in the Bible. It's even mentioned to do it in the Bible. So much so that we ignore it as a church at our own peril. We're just not as noisy as the church. You don't have to be noisy. But amen has a place in it. I've had, uh, over the years, I've had people say, well, I almost amen. I almost got excited. Drop the almost. Because biblically, the body is supposed to have a part in, in reinforcing what's being said when the teaching and preaching is going on. Now, I assure you, I don't mention that because I need that. I come with my own starter. I don't have to have you all wind me up, trust me. But it's, uh, but, uh, it is, it's very, very important uh, when someone comes in. It's a, it's a testimony to this. I agree with this. You know, Someone comes in and sets. The preacher's preaching. He gives out the Word of God. He makes points. And you may agree with it well. But that person, they're hearing something different than what they've heard. Something unusual to them. Something they're wondering, what in the world? They're not hearing something like this out, out in the world and, and that. And uh, if they look around and with no reaction by, they reach a conclusion. Well, he thinks that these people don't agree with him either. Amen says we agree with the Word of God. We're supposed to do it. And so the Bible's there with that. But what is this thing about Bible teaching? Knowing where to begin. Now, do you see where teaching's used here in these two verses? Teaching them... We're going to all nations. Every nation. Every people. Every, everyone is supposed to have the Gospel brought to them. I am very glad someone brought the Gospel in the way of a little Gospel track to the Dayton Mall when it first opened in Centerville, Ohio. Way, way back when it first opened. And uh, very pretty classical music would play when you'd walk through there. Crowds would dress up to go out and look nice. Uh, it's a different world. That was better. Those aspects of that world were better. And and so uh, someone left that little track behind. This was your life. And I read that. And it, it was the first thing that really awakened me to the fact, hey, wonder what's going on. I'm glad God had uh, someone who came out in the hay field. I've told you about it. They're on the hay wagon started talking to me about Jesus. And uh, I'm glad for that. And there's somebody's going to be glad that you took time to give them a gospel track. We uh, went to lunch on Sunday afternoon, and uh, I was, of course, I get there after, after the family does and, and such, and uh, I'd taken Mr. Short home and then came back in town, and I, I joined them there. When I hopped out of the car, of course, the fennels were already there and such, you know, busy, busy Sunday always when they're guests. And I, uh, plus it was Bradley's birthday, and he'd wanted to go out to Frisch's with Nemo and Pappy, and he wanted to go hunt groundhogs. There's, there's fresh groundhog holes, and we go see if we can find us a groundhog. I try to talk them sticking their whole arm in there, but they don't do it because they're smart. And I just want to see what will happen. But, the, uh, but anyway, we, we, <laughs> I hop out of the car, and there are four, four people sitting on the curb and uh, uh, right there in the parking lot. And I, I saw them, and I started going, and I got a nudge, and I still almost kept going. And I thought, Lord, you just nudged me. I better go back. So I went. And I said, hey, I said, y'all waiting on a bus and no bus comes by here. 
And they looked up and kind of laughed. They said, no, actually, we're waiting on a crazy train to show up. I said, you shouldn't have any trouble finding one of those in this town. I said, uh, I said, you are. And they said, yeah. And so I grabbed four blessed promises, went over and talked to them. Two of them gave uh, public profession, uh, faith there to me. And in other words, they, they were gladly owned the fact. One lady told me when she got saved and when she got baptized and that. And then another one did. And then um, one just was friendly but didn't answer anything with that. And one younger lady, she's like, I'm not sure where I'm at with this. And so uh, we got talk, I got to talk to them a little bit. What was funny, later on I saw who they were waiting on. And you had two, maybe, I don't know, it's hard for me to tell, probably maybe 30s or something, ladies, and then, and then a younger lady, younger man, like, like um, late teen, early 20. Anyway, they said they were waiting on crazy train. I saw them on the way out, got to speak to them again. They were waiting on their grandmother. So apparently, grandma's crazy train. <laughs> so anyway, things you find out. I did not divulge what I knew about that. But somebody that you're going to give a gospel track to is going to be glad that you brought the gospel to them. Somebody that you're going to witness to is going to be glad that someone was obeying this passage. And you can be the person, and you should be the person if you're a believer, it's incumbent upon us to be the one to tell somebody. This command is of the Lord teaching us, and it uses the word teaching in two places. <clears throat> it's a clear command to the Lord to all who believe on Him. God, just for those men who were standing in front of Him when He made the statement. It, commonly, what we call witnessing or soul winning those are two good words. Um, what we commonly call follow-up or discipling is here, it, it, it's identified as teaching. When you're witnessing, you're teaching. Now, I, I talked to you about Bible teaching and your mind may have immediately went to a Sunday school class or a preaching situation or something. In this situation, the Bible's using the term teaching. And so when I'm giving the gospel to somebody, when I'm speaking to somebody, you're just talking to a businessman, when I when I am talking to them, I'm doing Bible teaching. And that's what you're doing too. Now, there's a statement I've used here before, but that which makes for good teaching makes for good soul winning and discipleship. The basic elements of good teaching make for good soul winning. It's not the elements of salesmanship that do. Except learning not to be obnoxious and not doing things to offend the person you're talking to. That's okay to learn from it. Let me give you some things with this. Um, Bible teaching, knowing where to begin. A lot of times I find people are a little bit uh, reticent, maybe a little bit uh, hesitant to witness because they don't know how to begin. I'm going to ask you a question. Please don't feel like I'm putting you on the spot any more than what I am. Um, I, I, I want to know. I'm just really curious about this. And this isn't a sign of spirituality or one being better than another or anything like that. But how many of you in here, I'm in this group, how many of you in here find it quite natural to walk up to somebody in a, in a setting and you do not know that person or anything and just start a conversation talking to them? I do it all the time. Okay? All right? <laughs> I like that. I got one of those. Ah, it's going to have an honor off day. All right? How many of you, that is something you just almost never do 
it would be odd for you to. Let me see your hands if that's the case. I like, first group's like, yep. Second group's like, yep. Okay. <laughs> I think I found something. Um, <laughs> that's funny. But, uh, <laughs> great. <laughs> okay. Now, here, here's what can happen if we're not careful. We look at this wonderful thing that God's done with us. He has allowed us, who are sinful creatures, who have come to know the Lord Jesus, He's allowed us to be involved in getting the best news that's ever come to mankind, getting that to other people. We have an opportunity to do it. And yet, something that holds some people back, they think that the only people who can be effective at this are those of us who raised our hand in that first group because the thought of walking up to a door somebody you don't know, knocking on it, the thought of just talking to somebody, just for some of y'all it's uncomfortable, some of you it's terrifying, it really is. And I understand that. But let me say this to you. Part of the fear of the Lord, and the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding and it's the beginning of knowledge. Part of the fear of the Lord, part of what's involved of that, and I understand biblical definition is to hate evil uh, and uh, the lying tongue, the wicked way, there's some things given. But part of what the fear of the Lord, what that's like in somebody's life, is we are willing to face whatever fears we have regarding people rather than disappoint God. The prophet Ezekiel was warned. He had a hard crowd to preach to. The Bible said that God had made Ezekiel's forehead hard as an animal. He gave him like because he would have to go against the crowd and against the population. And there's specific command given to Ezekiel because the people of Israel were rebellious towards God at that time. And so God's sending Ezekiel to tell them God's Word. And He gave this command. He said, Be not thou afraid of their faces. These folks are making faces at him and everything else. I don't. I mean, our congregation is that way, but I've had it as preachers, as a preacher, and, and seen it and had people, you know, doing stuff. But the, he said, the whole crowd was doing it there. And he said, Be not afraid of their faces, lest I confound thee before thee. In other words, he said, Ezekiel, if you're more afraid of them than me, I'm, I'm going to put you to shame right in front of them. One legitimate motivation for us giving the gospel out is that we will one day face Christ. You will face Christ. It's my duty to tell you what the Bible says. It's your duty to take it and learn it and do something with it. But it's my duty to clearly teach you. I will face God for doing that. When you've learned to do something, for instance, taking the Gospel, you, your responsibility is there and the Lord's going to require of us that we have, we have used what we know. So what I want to do through the Bible here tonight is help you understand how to do what I really believe people who really are believers who are walking with the Lord. Now you get all backslidden living for the flesh. No doubt a few of you are in here tonight living like a devil and coming to church. But uh, no doubt. But when, unless you're doing that and messing yourself all up, there's something inside you that wants to tell people. There's something inside you that would like to tell somebody how good Jesus is. And yet sometimes fear is, is a barrier for you. And I want to help you tonight uh, to understand 
uh, it isn't a certain type of personality, but you can be used of God. You really can. And so let's look at this thing. Where to, where to start? Now, I put this down. The Bible uses the word teaching, doesn't it? And twice right there. Okay. We're going to go to Acts here in just a second. I put this down. Knowing where to begin. Placement testing. How many of you have ever taken a placement test? Right? I did it. I got uh, clipped out of a couple of classes in college. I've told you that before. It was funny. And then later, I wish I hadn't because I needed the basic information, but I can test well. I've always been able to take tests well. You have some people test poorly. They do great in a subject, but test poorly. I was on the other end. I didn't have to know much about subject. I could test well because most tests give away the answers. Or, you know, I've graded a lot of tests in my life. It's something they had me do when I was in school, starting back to sixth grade. It's something I did when I was in college with, the, uh, with some professors. And you wouldn't believe how many people, this is unbelievable, Mr. Teresa, how many people leave blanks on True and false or multiple, I call it multiple guess. Now, I mean, in the, if you got any sense running around between your ears at all, why would you take yourself from a 50% probability or a 33% probability, if there are three, to a zero chance of getting it right? You say, well, I don't know if it's the right answer. Never mind. <laughs> I feel distraction coming there. But the placement testing, the purpose of a good placement test is to find out where the student is. And uh, saying that, you know, as far as the knowledge level. And you say, okay, why is that such a big deal? Here's why it's a big deal. Because if someone is wanting to educate and do it right, in other words, they have a heart for that student that they'd be able to learn whatever it is they're needing to learn. And it could be, you know, an elementary student. It could be somebody coming into a trade school to learn a trade or whatever. But think, how many of you have had at least one or two good teachers in your life? And, and aren't they a blessing? How many of you have had the exact opposites? You remember those two? Oh, yeah, they seem to be more populous on that island. But uh, anyway, um, a good teacher and someone who's wanting to, to teach in any area, right, why that placement's important, even if it's not a formal test, but that placement's important, because as a teacher, what you need to know about that student in front of you is what do they know? So that you're not behind where they are and not helping them, and so that you aren't so far advanced that they get discouraged, because a lot of people will do this. They don't know something, but they don't want to, they, they, they feel dumb. It, it isn't dumb not knowing something. And so they feel dumb, so they don't want to ask questions, and they, they would rather stay behind and never learn than to admit that they don't know. And it's not always pride, I have to know everything. It's just fear sometimes comes into it. So you say, what's that got to do with being a witness? Well, <laughs> let me show you. I'm going to set the, set the understanding with this. Now listen carefully. When you deal with somebody... your effectiveness in dealing with them is going to be greatly enhanced if you actually begin at the point where that young person is or that elderly person is or that child is or that middle-aged business person is. If you start where they are and can take them to the cross or take them to further understanding in their Bible, then you will have done that person a great service. 
I give you examples in the Bible. Acts, look in chapter 8. I'm going to go in sequence with these. I'm going to show you four different starting points for four different people. Acts chapter 8. You may encounter somebody you don't know what to do with. You may encounter someone who's at a starting point where you are not you're not yet at a place or you don't feel that you I mean legitimately, not just an emotional feeling, but legitimately you're not you're not gonna be able to help them in that area. But you can always encourage them towards the Lord. Now catch this. You can always encourage them towards the Bible. You can always encourage them that they can trust God. You see what I'm saying? Um, you can you you can you can encourage them that way. You can let them know that the Bible meant it when it said, "For God so loved the world." And by the way, we understand that that particular verse, John three sixteen, is talking about God's great salvation that He brought to this world. But God so loved the world that He wants people to grow. Also, He wants them to mature. He wants to see Christ formed in them. He wants to see His people not only saved from eternal damnation, but also their life to be redeemed and rescued from the damage of sin, from the destruction of laziness, from the, from the absolute desolation that's brought by a purposeless, uh, just uh, here and there, no organization, no thought through life. Those things are destructive to people. And God doesn't want His people living that way. He doesn't want His people under the slavery of addiction. He doesn't want His people under the bondage and slavery of indebtednesses and their whole life being given away from them. God wants His people to be a free people. And because of that, we can encourage people even if we rightly judge that we're not the one to help them with a certain area. And so, with that said, Acts chapter 8 is the first one we run into. And did I tell you the chapter? I didn't hear me when I said it, so I'm not there yet. Hold on. Acts chapter 8. And this will be somewhat of a familiar account with those in the room here, most of you. Not all, but some of you. Acts 8, and look in verse 26. You have a fellow named Philip here. I believe he's one of the first deacons that is named earlier in Acts. And uh, then you have another fellow whose name is not given, who's a man of great authority in a kingdom that had a lot of wealth and power at that time. Let's look in verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. You hear the Gaza Strip in the news. You hear about them fighting. That's the same place. It's the very same place. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, which was a wealthy nation at that time, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure. This guy oversaw all the wealth of the kingdom. And had come to Jerusalem for to worship. I think it was probably a, uh, uh, he was probably a proselyte or convert to Judaism because of the time he had went there and what was going on such. Look what he does. So he went to Jerusalem for the worship in verse 27, was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he read what? Isaiah the what? So he's reading the Bible he has available to him, right? 
Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, here's a question, Understandest thou what thou readest? Now, make note, and I'm going to come back to it. See, what was the first, what was the first uh, thing that Philip did with this man? What was the first thing he did? He asked him a question, right? Okay, pay attention. He, he, he asked him. He asked him a question. Mark that down in your mind. We're going to come back to that. Super important for, for knowing how to begin and deal with people. And so he came with him and he said, Understandest thou what thou readest? So he sees this man with the Bible open they had at the time. He's reading. So he asks him a good question, doesn't he? Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, and the man shows humility in this, How can I accept some man, what's the word? Should what? Guide me. That's what some people are looking for, somebody to guide them. You're not going to have to argue them into something. You can't argue somebody into something anyway. But and it, it, it's, it's not a right approach. It's, it's, it's useless. It's worse than useless. It's damaging. But, the, uh, uh, but there are some people who actively want somebody to guide them. They're not looking to be combative. They're not looking to be uh, confrontational with someone. They actually want to know something. And so here he is. And, and, and he says to him, he says, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb dumb before his shear, so opened he not his mouth. In your Bible, that's Isaiah chapter 53. They didn't have the chapter divisions then, but it was the same text. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? He knows this is tied in with Messiah. He knows this is somehow tied in with redemption. He's got this concept. Remember, he'd been at Jerusalem for the express purpose of worshiping. And so he asked him, he said, I don't get it. Who's this talking about? Himself or some other man? Look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and began where, church? How did he know to begin the same Scripture? Because he had a placement test. This is where that fellow was. So he didn't need to go wandering off somewhere else. He didn't need to backtrack. He needed to take this man right there. He began at the same Scripture, and what did he do? And preached unto him Jesus. He did not get a pulpit, stand up over him, put on a lapel mic, and talk to him. The term preaching here is the type of preaching that you ladies can do biblically. And that preaching is you, you tell another about the gospel. That's exactly it. And so here it is, the declaring of that. And then what happened? They went on a certain way and they found water. The, the Ethiopian asked this question. See, here's water. What does hinder me to be baptized? Remember he had been to Jerusalem for the worship. He probably heard about John's baptism. He heard about different things. And the, the question is asked, or the statement is made, which is missing from the NIV, it's taken out. And the statement is made, if thou believest with all thy heart thou mayest, this is taken out of the NIV. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Isn't this strange thing to believe out of And they went both down into the water and baptized and came out. Why? Because that's that that and, and its other sister so-called modern Bibles are from a corrupt corrupt documents. They're not from the same document line as what King James is. And so he goes down there, and what happens is he, he goes in and he said, Hey, I want to get baptized. 
who wants to engage in a religious exercise. Philip makes it clear, here's what baptism is for. Do you believe in Christ? This is what it's about. And he understood. I love the answer you got, Brother Tim, when we were back here with the fellows, and Brother Tim was just making a final little sure statement there, which I like. He said, you fellows understand salvation's in Christ. And he started to explain just a little bit about, you know, making for, sure for clarity. And I think it was, an, I don't know, it was Anthony or Riley. I think it may have been Anthony. He seemed to be the spokesman of the Sons of Thunder. But he, uh, um, he made a statement. He says, oh, he says, yeah, I understand. He says, this is a picture showing the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and that I've trusted Him. And, I mean, he just gave a dissertation. And I'm like, okay then. Sure, why not? Um, awesome. Don't get that every day. I have an 11-year-old fellow coming in to get that good. And so, anyway, he, what they understand, the Ethiopian, where was he? He had his Bible open. He was in a place, one of the best places in the Old Testament to start telling somebody about why Jesus came. He had a heart that was wanting, wanting to learn and what happened. Philip took him there. Teaching is knowing where to begin. If someone came in and if I were tutoring someone, and let's say... I was tutoring them, and uh, I was tutoring them supposed to be in American history. And as I get talking to them, I find that they are basically bereft of knowledge of American history, or worse yet, they've received the revisionist American history that's being foisted upon. And, and, and my, my problem here is not with their kids who go to public school, it's what public schools are doing to them. They, they, that's being foisted, that means shoved on you from the, from the, uh, the, the agenda-driven so-called history that's being taught that isn't hi accurate history. Right. Right. Did you mention slavery? Were you the one who had the young man? He said, yes. yeah. I was glad you hand up. Young man, junior church. Brother Carpenter mentioned something about Joseph being held as a slave. Now here's the kind of nonsense people are being taught. Young man, not trying to be mean or anything, speaks out and says, only black people have been slaves. That's the result of an agenda being taught that has nothing to do with reality. Right. Let me tell you the sad truth about the human condition. Every group, one time or another, has held every other group as slaves. And it doesn't make it right for anybody to do it. But that's inculcation teaching from racist organizations like Black Lives Matter. It is a teaching that is wrong and it's morally wrong. Yes. But you, if that's all they're getting, I mean, it, it freaked them out, didn't it? They're like, what are you talking about? Only black people can be slaves. Dear God, how ignorant and warped is that? But that's, that's what goes on. Now hold on. Someone comes in and, and I'm going to teach them American history. And I find out they don't know anything about the founding. I find out or that they've gotten this perverted version of it. Uh, or I find out they don't know anything about why our country. They don't understand how the, the place of religious freedom in it. They don't know that the Bill of Rights came about because of a Baptist preacher. They don't have any clue about this stuff. I'm not going to start by teaching them about, you know, uh, uh, General, uh, uh, I just lost the name, I can't come back. Help me. The uh, World War II, 
Laverne, thank you, came back. Do you know why I couldn't get his name? I couldn't get past the name William Manchester who wrote a book about him called American Caesar. Anyway, and I also have the author's name instead of the general. Um, but anyway, General MacArthur, I'm not going to talk about when he came back to Lady Golf and came back to the Philippines, you know? What's that got to do with anything until they have the basics? Okay, if Brother Carpenter is going to tutor somebody in math, you say, why don't you, why don't you say about if you're going to tutor somebody in math? Best suggestion if you want to tutor in math, <laughs> I'm not your guy, okay? I, I can do it, and I can do it, but I, I invent my own systems. Anybody else do that? I do. I invent my own structure. and I get to the right answer. But I do it a way that the teachers never appreciate it. I've always done it. And who are they to make me feel bad because I have a difference? Anyway. Um, but if someone was coming to Brother Carpenter for tutoring and uh, in math, let's say, and he finds out they don't have a basic skill of times tables, addition and that, he's probably not going to start with pre-algebra. You see what I'm saying? They have to have something on which to build. Now, now stay with me. I'm showing you something biblically. You've got to look at the person you're dealing with and you've got to find out that sort of a placement test. <laughs> you know, without, do you know this? Do you know this? Do you know this? But it, if when we go and talk to people, we just jump into the same type of thing all the time, it's going to be very easy and dangerous for us just to be going into a sales type mode instead of talking to an individual about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you, it's like, we know many of you know the Romans Road, different verses like it, they're very helpful. I am glad that when I first started trying to witness people, somebody showed me that I could mark. I could start there like Romans 3.10 and then I could write Romans 3.23 and I know where to go. I needed that guy and that's where I was. But listen, that, that's fine. By the way, every now and then you just step back because you have to just get back really to a basic. I'm not talking about being fancy. I'm talking about keeping a basic. What I'm talking about, though, is who are you dealing with? What's their condition? Let me give you another Bible example. These others are all much quicker than that. I want you to get it. Look in Acts chapter 17. Are you getting the concept of what I'm talking about of knowing where to begin? That's what people say to me as a pastor. I want to talk to my uncle about the Lord, but I don't know where to Begin. Or, or start or begin. But I'm a co-worker. I, I've, I've, they've been on my heart. I wanted to tell them about the Lord, but I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to start. You know? Seems kind of weird. I'm kind of close to this cousin. I just walk up to him. Do you know if you die today, you're going to go to heaven? I'm not saying that's a bad thing to ask some people. But the relationship's not really that way. It's also not good to say, as well as I know you, it seems like you're going to hell for sure. Okay, that's not good either. <laughs> so, you know, some who are on the more abrupt end of life, Acts 17, <laughs> look in verse 23. The Apostle Paul is talking to philosophers. They're divided into two basic groups, the Stoics and the Epicureans. The Epicureans are that if it feels good to a crowd, live for sensory pleasure. The Stoics are you control your emotions and you do not show anything ever. So they're kind of on opposite ends of things. But these are learned people. They are in a city called Athens in Greece. It was said of this place in the Bible 
that this group, these groups of people that would come up to this place called Mars Hill, which was set aside for exactly what was going on here. Socrates taught here. and I mean, this was the place where people would come together for learning and such. Which is said they did nothing else but to hear to tell some new things. These were the open-minded, let's hear what everybody says, and let's not be you know, definite about anything, lest we be dogmatic. And uh, the Bible calls it ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So Paul's there. And this group's in front of him. And then you understand that now? Let's see what happens. Uh, let's begin in verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill. And, and that's, that's an outcropping uh, of a place in there in uh, uh, elevated rock place there in Athens. And said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. Now watch this. Talking about knowing where they are. For I passed by, for as I passed by and beheld your devotions, what they are is what they were worshiping, what they were doing religiously, what they were doing spiritually. As I beheld your devotions, I found an altar. Check it out, an altar. Somebody had built this, Brother Trey. Somebody had taken time to put money, effort, and material into building something. Found an altar with this inscription. So when they built this and took the time to build it, they actually had inscribed on it something. What did they have inscribed on it? To what God? The unknown God. So they have all these different false gods that they would worship. And then it's like, in case we missed one. But I don't think that's the depth of it. I believe they knew that something was missing. I believe there was something in them that said there's a void and this other stuff doesn't do it. And they took time. It wasn't a passing thing, Brother John. They took time to actually build an altar and have it inscribed to the unknown God. Now you think about if you have something inscribed like on stonework and stuff, they were almost resigning themselves that it would always be unknown. And so he says this. He says, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. So what did he do? That was the placement test. He said, let me tell you about where the need is. Now look what happened. Look what he starts with when you're dealing with people who say, I don't know God. God that made the world. Hold on. When Philip started to the Ethiopian, he didn't go back to that. He began at the same scripture, opened his mouth, preached unto him Jesus. The question the Ethiopian had was, who's this talking about? The prophet or someone else? I'll tell you who it is. It's Jesus. So he's coming from a background where he's been studying and a Bible from him. So that's where he starts with him. Paul is talking to people who have put up an altar to an unknown God. And he says, God who created all things. All of your pantheon of gods as greats, you talk about a bunch of perverts. Man, Greek mythology. And I can't believe that I was somewhat enamored by it when I was very, very, very young. And, and I went back and got a book on, on it, an old book. I saw it and I thought, that's interesting. Yeah, it's been a long time. I had the basics. 
I started reading that. I got rid of that book. That book was filthy, man. It's, I mean, they're just, they're just all kinds of nonsense and licentiousness and fighting. And it just, I'm like, man, if you, that's what your gods are like, you know, what, what kind of hope would you have in this world? And so he says, let me talk to you about not a God who created or is, you know, is not beside him, who has, who has power over the, or Neptune or whichever one you want to do, uh, over, over the seas. It's not one of the furies coming out from under the grottoes here and going and causing trouble because that was down under where they were. It's not any of these. He said, it's not Zeus and it's not, he said, let me tell you, you know, you're not going down to uh, the, the river of Styx and you're not going down, you're not going down there to Hades and you don't have to go past Sebris and all. He said, let me tell you who I'm talking about. I'm talking about God who actually created everything. Not one of many gods. Not someone in a power play against another. I'm talking about God. Whose fingerprint is on every creation. And not the, the, the sunrise and sunset are His work. And His majesty is what adorns them. Talking about God. That's the beginning place. Because it's the beginning place of knowledge. And then he goes in and he says, verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth. Exerts the authority, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. And he goes on. And he talks to him about it. And you know what he brings him to? Repentance. It commanded all men in word to repent. You know what he ends up preaching? Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he shows that Jesus is the one by whom the world will be judged. In other words, you have Jesus' righteousness put up against your righteousness. And if you don't have his righteousness, you, you, you're done. And that righteousness comes by faith in Christ. We trust him. And he lays that whole thing out. It's not a huge long dissertation. But he says, this is the God I'm talking You see what I'm saying? you got to start where they are. And, and he looked at it and he did that. Then, look in Acts chapter 18. There's a fellow we've visited a couple of times. And we'll be again. I'm doing a lengthy study in preparation for some things in Corinthians. that are just exciting to me. <laughs> Well, I got one last night. My wife was reading, she was reading in bed, and I was there, and I was writing some notes, and I got, I saw something last night I'd never seen, and I, I'm, I'm very vocal when I'm reading, and if I'm by myself and stuff, I'll do. But she was trying to read something, fine. She's like, "Honey," I'm like, "I'm excited. I found something neat." And she's, I think I was interrupting her book as near as I could tell. And uh, Acts 18, and it's hard to get settled back on Dick and Jane if you get off of where you were. <laughs> Uh, she likes that. I'm a preacher who never picks on his wife. I read from the pulpit. I don't. I don't. You say why not? Because I got good sense, folks. Uh, Acts 18. Actually, I have more respect for her than that. Acts 18, verse 24. Do you want to know the real motive? Um, Acts 18, verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, which by the way was a center of learning, education, had a huge library. An eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And began to speak boldly in the synagogue whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, remember they were taught by Paul, they took him unto them and expounded they took the Bible and showed him unto him the way of God more what? 
more perfectly. So here's a fella who believed in the Lord, but he only had partial knowledge from what he'd been exposed to. Then look what happens in verse 27. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, look at the words, helped much, helped them much, which had believed through grace. So he was a big help to the believers. And it was at Corinth. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was Christ. He had a God-given ability to speak. He knew the Scriptures up to a point was using what he knew, but he was brought into contact with someone who knew the Scripture better. And you know what they did? They took him where he was. He said, well, it wasn't him getting saved. No, but look what happens. Because someone helped him go forward, all these believers are helped, and many people come to know the Lord. You see this? Now let's find a one. Look in Acts 19. Acts chapter 19. And we're going to be right at the beginning of the chapter here with this. Find one I'm showing you. Verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, we just read about that going on, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, and so you have the GNC and you go up over to Chaos over here. Well, where you're at over here. And you go up over the you go up over the upper coast and then come down on the other side and you have a city called Ephesus. Anybody have a Bible that has a book of Ephesians in it? Anybody do? If you have a Bible, you do. What's that? That's a letter written to the church in the city called Ephesus. Okay, so that's that's what this was talking about. And it came to pass while Paul, Apollos was at Corinth. Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now think about that. They have no teaching on it at all. They don't understand. They have no clue about anything. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. That was the baptism of repentance. And look at verse 4, what it says. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, preparing people for the coming of Christ, saying unto the people that they should believe on Him which should come after Him, that is, on Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So the completion of the thing. They didn't understand where it led. The uh, only thing they knew was one was coming. Now they're finding out about it. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were how many? About 12. And so what I put down with that, you have a core group of 12 men at Ephesus. They'd gone as far as they knew to go with what they had learned and what instruction had been. What happened was they were ignorant of the fullness of God Himself they were ignorant of, uh, of the, what the final answer and the final provision was. And yet from them, they were part of what happened that the great church at Ephesus and the great works would go forward. Now, give you these thoughts. We'll go to the house, all right? You can see what I'm talking about placement tests. Now, please, please, please don't think, oh, I don't know if I could discern that. I don't, that it's not that complicated. Do not overcomplicate this or it'll hurt you and it's not meant to. 
when dealing with any person in any point of their spiritual life. Here's three things that help. Number one, don't be afraid to ask them very plain and kind questions. That's what Philip did. Understand this now what that means. What was the response? Okay, I accept some man should guide me. And that led to what? Him being able to help him. Look, I understand there are a lot of situations where you can just give someone a track or you just have a moment with them. So we understand that. And we shouldn't despise those times. In other words, we should make use of them. Alright, reference back there telling you about the four people sitting there in the parking lot and all that. Now hold on a minute though. If I'm talking to Wesley, and I'm talking about his soul, and it's obvious that he doesn't feel I'm intruding, we can talk. If I can't get to the point of asking him a very plain question, I'm not really going anywhere as far as being able to talk to him about the Lord. Witnessing people is not some sneaky thing. And I've seen everything. I've seen people, they do this number and say, okay, I'll get somebody and talk to them. They witness and say, can we pray together? Grab your hand and let's pray together and they'll pray. Okay, now you pray after me. Look, let me tell you something. That's nonsense. You're not, you've not been more saved because you repeat your prayer after somebody than anything. Right. I'm not trying to lead people to repeat something after me. I have instructed people, and I've had a good number of people, if I'm talking to one on one Saturday, they don't know how to pray, they don't know what to do. And I say, well, let me give you some guidance, something like this. But it's just guidance. Very clear about it. It's not the wording. It's where they put their faith. I can't tell you the people I've had greatly distressed. Well, I doubt my salvation. Why? I don't know if I said the right thing. I don't know if I was sincere enough. That's just who are you trusting in? Do you believe Jesus is the Savior? Yes. Do you believe you're good enough to go? No. No, I just trust Him. Then quit beating yourself up. Usually that lasts about four weeks. You have to talk to Him again. Don't be afraid to ask a very plain question. That's the placement test. We ran across uh, uh, Paige again. Andrew Paige came here and got baptized. They moved. We've had a good visit with them. That month before that, we caught them. We're out on the scooter all day. My wife and order just got over to their house. They were glad to see us. Want to see them get established in church. Amazing how people out there suddenly get tangled up. Yeah, pretty amazing. And actually, Karen, remember Karen came here? Um, what's her husband's name? Um, just sit back over here. Um, what's his first name? God is. God is. Face in my mind. Anyway, they came for a good while. Karen got very ill, ended up in the nursing home and stuff, and they were out for a good while, but she passed away. And actually, Karen was, was Andrew's aunt. And so, anyway, I was over at her funeral, and Keith, Keith and Karen Pocky, we're going to get together. And uh, so, they, anyway, I was over at her funeral, and got to talk to him there, and then we talked to him again and saw him. And uh, talking to him there, and, and, uh, I remember when I talked to them because I talked to Paige and I talked to Andrew together and then each of them separately. Andrew at the house and then Paige uh, over here at lunch. We've taken them both to lunch. I started talking to her and 
Andrew took the baby, Island, and said, here, you just talk to her. And he went over to a booth, and we're sitting here, and he's sitting here. And each of them, I asked this question. I got to talk to him. I said, look, I said, give me an idea. I said, I, I don't know. We're talking. I said, do you have much knowledge of the Bible? You've been brought up around it. Do you understand who Jesus is and why he came? And I'm talking to him that way. Both of them, independently of each other, without hearing each other say it, looked me in the eye and said, assume I know nothing, and I will be safest. <laughs> well, that's open door. They didn't know nothing, so I didn't have to start back to creation. And by the way, when I say start back to creation, I'm talking about like Paul did. Okay, here's creation. Here are the six days. Here's what was on that. I'm not talking about you do that, all right? Bring out a little flannel graph. You, know, I mean, you don't have to do that. <laughs> You're establishing God's a creator because He's a creator. He made us. He made us to, to bring honor to Him. Because of sin, we are separated from our God. Not just the sinful nature which we inherit, which is very obvious if you got a lick of sense to you. You don't have to teach a kid to lie. You don't have to teach a kid to disobey. You don't have to teach an infant to <clears throat> against whatever. That's in our nature. But it's not just that. It's also the fact that we choose, all of us, who have, have any age of us at all, have known something was wrong and went ahead and did it anyway just because we wanted to do it. No other reason. So the sin nature is very obvious. But wait, what happens is when we start, we say, okay, God is our creator. God made us to honor Him. We've broken God's heart with the way that we've disobeyed Him. You can see, and anybody with sense, you say, you can see things are messed up. Yes, okay. It's because of sin. But God loved us so much He wanted to do something about that. And no man could fix it. So you know what God did? He became a man. You see what I'm saying? You're just very simple with it. And that goes to the next thing. And I'll get you out of here. I've kept you tonight. But don't be afraid to ask a very plain, kind question. Number two, start at the point of admission or what observations you've seen. In other words, example in the Bible. The, uh, I keep forgetting that's on a felt. Slides when I do that. Um, Philip asked the question. What was his question? Understandest thou what thou reads? What was the Ethiopian's response? How can I? Except what? Some man should do I. He went and guided him, didn't he? So what did he do? Took him right where he was, opened his mouth, and told him about Jesus. You go over to those Epicureans and Stoics, those philosophers, they weren't asking a question like that. Paul had to look at what was going on, look at an altar, building an actual altar, inscribing on it to the unknown God. He had to look at that, and he said, you all have a problem here you don't know about. I'm going to declare unto you what this is talking about. You see what I'm saying? He didn't have somebody say, well, I must say he would be saved or something like that. He looked at the situation in front of him. <laughs> it was funny. So I went down up around Chicago for a time period. This was in the 80s. In a time period, I don't know why, this one area where we'd go, you'd start talking to somebody about the Lord and, and you'd start out okay. And then they'd want to argue with you and debate with you. And there was a common phrase. I don't know why it was there. It was this common phrase. I kept hearing it. And uh, they, would, they would be displaying by their conversation. They really didn't know anything about the Bible. And then you'd say something, and they, they don't do the same thing. They've got the same posture and everything. The, the men, who I deal with, but I never had a lady do it. It's kind of funny. But they'd say, well, I've always had this philosophy about that. I'm thinking, you never heard of this before, and you can't spell philosophy. I have this philosophy about that. 
No, you don't. You are making, and you ought to hear some of the stuff that comes out. Well, I've always thought this about that. No, you haven't. This is, look, Sprocket be jive. You're talking jive, man. You do not have philosophy about this. This is new territory. What they're doing, you know what they're doing, don't you? They're being confronted with something. I don't mean in a harsh way, but they're being confronted, and they don't want to feel less than somebody. They don't want to feel like they don't know something. So wouldn't it be good if we're talking to people about the Lord that, uh, that we get talked to them enough to where we can say, hey, you know, use what you have. I will, I will say, if you can't do this, if this isn't your case, but I'm giving you an example. Are you, I'm just trying to give you an example. Use what you have. I will say to people, if I'll be talking to somebody who obviously doesn't have Bible background, and I say, you know, you may know this, and they might. It might surprise me. But I didn't come up around the Bible. I was glad when somebody told me about this. You see what I'm saying? And, and you can think about some way to deal with somebody and, and not put them on edge with that. But you start at the point of admission what, and observed. And then the last one, always work toward the simple and clear elements of the gospel and Christian growth. I've given you several examples of that. And you have it in the Bible there. Here's Apollos. He comes in. Mighty in the Scripture. He knew a lot of Bible, but only up to a certain point. Quillo and Priscilla take him aside and said, let's show, you, let's show you what John was talking about. Let's show you what came next. And then they explained it. And what did he do? He took that and did a lot of good for God from that point. So you see what I'm saying? They went to simple instruction with it. What did Paul do? You have these philosophers. Everybody sit back, you know, wanting to hear. What does he do? He takes it, he takes it as fast as he can to why Christ came. Why Christ gave himself. Always go to the simple elements of the gospel or the simple elements of following God. Well, I don't know. You know, I've been brought up for, do you believe in the Lord? Yeah, I do. And they may have. But I just don't know what to do. So many different people, I'll tell you what you can do to get your Bible and start there. You see what I'm saying? That person, if you could help them to understand, you can trust God's Word. You can read it for yourself. You don't have to take what somebody says and just take whatever they say. You can examine it yourself. You see what I'm saying? You can help that person go forward. Boy, there's so much help you can do. A bunch of you raised your hand. It's not natural for you to just come up and start a conversation with somebody. That doesn't feel natural for you. But that doesn't mean you can't help people. Because the question you're asking, I don't know where to start. I've got a loved one I'd like to witness to. I don't know where to begin. I've got a co-worker I want to witness to. I don't know where to begin. I've got a neighbor. They've been my neighbor for years and I want to talk to him about the Lord. I don't know where to begin. Begin where they are. Ask them a question. I'll give you an example of blessing. I'm almost done here with this. I'll give you an example of a blessing with this. It's something Brother Storm said that's really useful. He said several years ago, in fact, he said he did it the first time when he was here. He was out and he was visiting some parents of uh, young people who come in on our bus. He said it was the first time he'd ever asked somebody this question this way. And remember what I'm teaching you, the best place to start with just a good question. A good, non-combative question. But here's the thing about it. He, he said, he asked the parents, have you ever thought your kids, you know, I'm sure they appreciate you letting your kids go to church and such there, and, and that, and he said, have you ever thought about going to church? And that's a great question, for simplicity. And he said, you know, and the answer is, well, yeah, I have. He said, you know, where you're starting? This is what he told me. This is what he's told me. He said, no, I really never have. He said, you know where you're at there with that? And of course, what's he looking to? He says, I'm looking to get to the gospel with him. He said, but it's a good question. You're asking that person. 
You're not barging in and running over them. You're asking them, what are you thinking? Where are you with things? And then you start at that point. Ethiopian. Who's he talking about? Start there. Philosophers. They put up an altar to an unknown God. Start there. What's that? Apollos. Mighty in the scripture. Start there with that. Ephesus. Have you received the Holy Ghost? What do you know if there is? What's that? I don't know what that's about. What? You were baptized, you said. You believed something. What was it? John's baptism. 